0: Do you guys have an example of what seems to be an obvious tactic to use, maybe obvious to you, that often seems to be forgotten during combat within 5th edition?
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So what
1: yeah, what is it? Retreat. Retreat is valid and should be more used. <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a valid tactic. Retreat yeah. is valid.
0: And it doesn't always need to be retreat, right? It can be a ta- it's tactical withdrawal sometimes. Exactly. Let's just get out of this area where we can uh, have this fight on our own terms. But you're right, yes, sometimes retreating is the best course of action. Absolutely. Um,
2: my tactic, and it's not a nice tactic, but it's how I win when I'm a dungeon master. When it's time to teach these bastards a lesson, when they have murder to their last murder hobo, I am going to do two things. I'm going to always focus on the weakest character and put all of my attacks on one character at a time. That is how you change the uh, the action economy, and that's how you win and get into a death spiral. Also, just because they're unconscious doesn't mean I stop attacking them. I want their head separated from their shoulder. They have three death saves, and I'm going to burn through them before they get the opportunity to roll the first one. So that is how I make my big villains seem scarier and deadlier.
0: Yeah, very fair. For me, I think it is uh, remembering how you you should be ending your turn, knowing that the enemy is going to go next, um, and how where do you want to be positioned when you end your turn? For example, you know, lots of times people will run into the dungeon room, and then everybody will throw their attacks off, and then they will just stand there and hope that the enemy hits somebody else. I'm very much in favor of I used to go in with Titus. My fight, I would go and drop two or three shots up, and then get back out of the room and use 20 feet of room to go down the hallway. And then hopefully somebody else will go somewhere else and go somewhere else. So it's about don't make yourself an easy target and remember your movement and where you're positioned at the end of the turn.
2: Well, especially because you had a weapon with reach and you took the mobile and sentinel feats. So you yeah. were able to get through combat and then make nobody else able to move. You would just yeah. lock shit down, which was really, really effective and really good. My my favorite player that I have right now um, for ending their turn intelligently is Mieka because she does not want to be in combat ever. She reluctantly steps close enough to shoot Eldritch Blast from 120 feet away and then hide in the nearest hut until it's her turn again. And then she will peek out a window, shoot and hide again. And it makes her very, very cowardly,
1: but she never has to heal. Mm-hmm. Is it cowardice or is it just being smart? No, with her it's cowardice. it's cowardice. I'm
2: telling you, it's Okay, right. It's, all right. With they're it's screaming cowardice. and running and peeing. It's cowardice, yeah.
1: Amazing, perfect. I love it. I'm here for it.
3: Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get.
2: Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on Dungeon Master Options in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Terry and Sean. And this episode is called Managing Combat, Tactics to Make Characters Fight, Not Players.
0: In this episode of the It's Mimic Podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters will be looking at the different parts of combat management and different ways to breathe new life into making battles more interesting and streamlined.
1: So before we get started, I want to ask, what's the most tedious part of combat for you as a DM and a player? Let's grab Dice and Roll Initiative. 11?
0: A natural 20. Oh, got, I got a 3. Okay, the most tedious part is it could be initiative. you know, initiative can be drawn out. it's tedious. It slows things down. I don't think people do it very efficiently sometimes. and it can deflate the excitement that should be happening with a with a combat that's in an imminent. so initiative.
1: I'm going to say that as a DM, it's keeping pacing. um it's trying to keep the 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 combat engaging, trying to keep people you know, working towards a common goal or not, whatever. Um, but as a player, it's watching other people try and figure out what they're going to do next. And it's it's like, hey, guys, you had an entire round to be able to figure that out. It's now your turn. Maybe you should have thought of that. That would be fantastic. Because well, I want to get to my turn. <laughs> it's well, fair. okay, yeah. to, to
2: be absolutely fair, Dan is the master of fucking up the plan for the next person initiative. Uh, Terry knows this. He yep, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, well, Terry will say, okay, here's the plan. I'm going to go here. I'm going to tactically do this. And then, you know, Megan storms forward to, to do the plan, and Dan's like, but I've got a spell. And he blasts it off and changes the entire battlefield and teleports three people away, and then he fucks off down a chimney or something. And Terry is sitting there going, well, now what? Yeah. Exactly. right? Now so, my, now my so, sneak
0: attack won't work, Dan, because you fucked off. Like, you're supposed to be standing next to him. That's the whole point. And now you've left.
2: So especially when we have had these conversations before initiative started or like when it's somebody else's turn and terry Lingzor says if you do this i will do this and that goes okay and then does the exact fucking opposite he's not the only one that does that but he is by far the most egregious so um honestly the worst part of combat for me uh for as both the player and a dm is the first surprise attack comes in or there is a triggering instance and the dungeon master turns to the rest of the table and says, okay, well, it's about to pop off here it goes. there's the 30 orcs come out of the woodwork and they're all sitting there pointing crossbows at you roll initiative and then we spend the next three and a half minutes going okay, so who has between a 10 and a 15 for her? and it just kills the momentum just dies. And then you turn to the first person who rolled a 12, but everybody else can't roll for shit in initiative. You know, it's it's a rule that you either get 23 or 7, and nothing in between, right? So, um, there's that one person who's just surprised that they're going first, Go uh, 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 and they don't know what they're doing, and, like, it takes about a full round of combat for everybody to get up to speed to figure out what's happening. Um, Kind of get the lay of the land, figure out what the enemies are doing and what their big moves are and all that shit. So it's I I would love a way to streamline the beginning of combat. Yeah.
3: yeah,
0: But
2: uh... before we get any deeper into this, let's cut to an ad break.
3: We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on Dungeon Master Tips in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube and dozens of other podcast apps. If you would like to support us you can donate through the website check out our store or join our patreon and get access to other episodes and series if you would like to pay for some ad space on it's a mimic or just send a shout out to a friend please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below
2: this week on the it's a mimic podcast I try to find out who chained my ankle to the editing desk, and I try to find out if I have enough energy in my soul to gnaw through my own leg. Stay tuned to find out if it's the sleep deprivation or the freebasing of pure caffeine directly into my system that gives me the heart attack. All right. So before we jump into our uh thoughts on initiative and combat and tactics and whatnot, let's uh let's introduce Sean to those of you who don't know him because Sean, this is your first episode. Well, it's your second episode, first one on the public channel, because you did um you it's did the legend spire, right? So yeah that was that was a load of fun. Tell tell everybody who you are and what you do and why you're why we pretend you're important.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm Dollar Store Dan. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, my nerd thread is, I mean, I've been playing um, tabletop RPGs, you know, since I was a kid. So in my, in my teenage years, and I am very far away from my teenage years at this point. Um, I'm a systems engineer. I, you know, love tech. I love audio equipment. I'm just, in general, a pretty big nerd. So I love it. Out of everybody that I know, you are probably the
2: most well versed in science fiction, and you're definitely the upper echelon of fantasy.
1: I am definitely, if it, yeah, sci fi is definitely my wheelhouse. Um, absolutely. Uh, Star Wars specifically. Now, everybody cringes a little bit at that, but there's some good Star Wars out there, y'all. There is.
2: <laughs> um, also, you and I played together in three point five and fifth edition. You were a part of our uh, Call of Cthulhu group on Friday nights mm-hmm. uh, until that has gone on a temporary hiatus. And um, we uh, we've explored the idea of other role playing games and board games and other things. Like for you may be a new voice to the podcast, but you are by no means new to this genre.
1: So yeah, um, and I I do a lot of you know, investigation into other campaign other systems sorry um you know like we we took a look at spire together i'm currently taking a look at lancer uh across a thousand dead 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 stars what's the name of that system now oh, that that's <laughs> you can send
2: me links to uh mork borg
1: oh yeah mork borg and cyborg
2: yeah which uh, uh, i love mork borg i've never played in it but i have read the material about seven times because it's fucking hilarious Uh, um and uh and so well welcome I I look forward to getting into the nitty-gritties of this because you are admittedly not a fifth ed guy admittedly not no so I'm glad that we're going to sit down and talk about these mechanics and how like combat works from a meta perspective because a lot of people are only fifth ed they Mm -hmm. came in fifth fifth edition is most people's gateway into tabletop role-playing games but there are so many more other options out there. And we keep like hinting at them, especially Call of Cthulhu, but like everyone's in a wild vampire, the masquerade will come up or Mork Borg or something like that. And people are always surprised by it. Oh yeah. There's this over here doing that. Like I would love to dig into mutants and masterminds, right? Like there are a bunch of really fun other games out there. And fifth edition is so simple that it can be easy to pick up for most people but by the time you get into it like Terry and I have we're on your what 4567 how many years have we been playing this like 2017 you and I started
0: you and I together yeah 20s it was like summer 2017 or something i mean i started playing 5th edition myself when it came out like 2012 i think i started like 2013 so it still feels like the recent. Well, it is the most recent edition but it feels newer in the D&D universe as a whole but really it's not it's like 10 years now so yeah it's been going by
2: yeah, and we're about to get a new edition, right? And yeah. I'm curious to see, it's supposed to be backwards compatible, quote-unquote, whatever that means. And they keep dropping little hints about how they're reworking monster stat blocks or player uh, or character creation. But apparently the basic framework for the rule sets are going to be essentially the same, which means the initiative that we're used to is the initiative we get. The action, bonus action, reaction is what we get right and that's not changing which is unfortunate because in my opinion they're pretty flawed i'm not a big pathfinder guy but the way that pathfinder handles initiative and and a turn is amazing you get three actions you do whatever the fuck you want with them
1: right Mm. is that more recent to pathfinder 2 or is
2: that that's that second edition um the first uh, the pathfinder first edition was very much 3.5 which oh yeah Holy shit. Everybody sit down. If we thought initiative was slow in 5th edition, just trying to figure out how to shove somebody or bull rush someone or fuck you you'd have 10 books out and and it'd be John and I played 3.5 together. We we played in the campaign Dan and Dave were in that way 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 back and This is when we didn't play Dungeons and Dragons. We quote-unquote played Dungeons and Dragons. We got our character sheets out. We grabbed pencils. We grabbed dice. And we stood out in the rain and smoked for four hours as we argued about what would happen next.
1: Oh, absolutely. And we would all be bringing different books with very, very like similar rulings on specific mechanics
2: like this one says four but this one says of so what do you think that means and then that would spark an argument between seven guys standing in the rain but this
1: book is newer it's correct (laughs) yeah right right.
2: (laughs) anyway let's jump into what fifth edition has to offer first shall we so yeah i think terry you're you got the first bit
0: i'm going first yeah so the first of discussion is going to be initiative and surprise uh i think it's important to cover this this is the type of thing where once you start playing fifth edition you just presume that you've got it down i know how initiative works i know how surprise works but often people make mistakes here and they they overlook something so very simply how does initiative work well in in dungeons of dragons initiative determines the order in which the characters and creatures take their turns in combat here's a concise explanation of how that works So first of all, you roll initiative at the start of combat, each player and enemy participating in the combat rolls their d20 and they add their initiative modifier and the result is their initiative score. The order of turns is determined by the highest score first. So the characters and creatures take their turns in descending order of their initiative scores with the highest score going first and the lowest score going last. When it comes to taking actions on a character's turn, they can take various actions that might be attacking, casting a spell. You can move you can use items and the order of turn continues until the combat encounter ends the purpose of initiative is to help create a dynamic and unpredictable flow of combat in DD as it determines who acts when and can significantly impact the outcome of battles based on which order that we go but how does surprise work so s- surprise is a condition which is put on the individual characters it's not It's not an entire team. It's not a surprise round per se. So the the DM determines who might be surprised. So if neither side tries to be stealthy, they automatically notice each other. That's a very simple rule, which is often overlooked when people will argue about whether or not somebody should be surprised. If neither side tries to be stealthy, automatically notice each other so otherwise the dm compares the dexterity stealth checks of anyone hiding with the passive perception score of each creature in the opposing side any character or monster that does not notice a threat is surprised at the start of the encounter what does that mean if you're surprised you cannot move or take an action on your first turn of the combat and you cannot take a reaction until that turn ends and a member of the group Uh, can be surprised even if the other members aren't so you might have one player character who is surprised and everybody else is not surprised
2: so there's just a couple really quick things to point out one is there's the alert feat which means that you can't be surprised and two is that you're still able to take bonus actions apparently interesting reactions
0: apparently which I suppose makes sense, because if something... No, it says to... you,
2: you can't take a reaction until the turn ends, so, like... Oh, right, okay. Yeah, you only get the ability to do a bonus action, which means that for, like... Uh, oh, sorry, a lot of bonus actions are predicated on you doing something else as well, right? Like, you right. if you do this, then you can use a bonus action. So, really, rogues are good. They can dash, disengage, or hide. And everybody else, like a barbarian, I guess, could rage on their turn, but that's about it. right so in previous editions there were surprise rounds right where if you were able to be stealthy enough you just get off a round of attacks and movements and you just get your side your team just goes first and everybody else has to sit there and wait through it and then everybody gets shuffled into initiative at the appropriate place also there was such a thing as a surprise condition this one specifically in fifth edition makes a point of it not being a condition like exhausted or prone or anything like that, because there's no mechanic that hits you like uh, incapacitated or something just because you are surprised. You're still alert. You can still see everything. You can still in theory communicate and do whatever you need to do, but you're just very limited because they're going Faster than you are for the first bit. It takes you a while to get up to speed. That's the basic idea here. I've got a real issue with the idea of um, the the stealthy character, right? If neither side tries to be stealthy, there are some monsters. Okay, DMs immediately understand the rogue has to tell you they are stealthy. They are being a stealthy character. Just because they are a rogue does not mean they are automatically tiptoeing and sneaking. If they turn to you and say, yeah, but I always do, that's not good enough. However, when I look at a monster stat block, I look for two things that immediately uh, give me the idea that they are going to be coming from a surprise uh, position. One is false appearance, which means a mimic is always going to try to get a surprise round. If it can camouflage into the background, then that is their go-to ambush tactic therefore you un- unless circumstances like in your own unique scenario change and then they're caught out in the open they should be coming from a, an advantageous point right from right from the get go and the other thing is if they have a huge positive modifier to stealth specifically if stealth is listed in the skills that means that it gets a bonus to it right that means that this character is designed to be stealthy and it usually comes with perception and that to me means they are a hunter they are on the ambush tactic uh route so nine times out of ten they're going to be laying in wait again not always and not as often as false appearance but usually so these are where i start looking for it
1: i i kind of want to unpack that for half a second when you say perception do you mean active perception or passive perception when they have
2: sorry when they have a bonus um on the stat block so your monster or your npc it list skills and a lot of times it'll say like history plus one and and survival plus three or whatever right because the regular modifiers aren't that high especially when you get into the other epic like creatures one where they start to get a plus 16 to things right if i see stealth or and perception or just stealth listed there they are a sneaky character that's going to ambush so every character in a stat block has passive perception. Mm-hmm. So I don't count that. I'm looking for whether or not perception exists it, as a listed skill specifically that got a boost by the game designers for this specific stat block. If that's the case, then chances are they're going to be sneaking. Again, right. not always. I mean, you could have the leader of the assassins guild walking around the marketplace in broad daylight. They're not sneaking even though they're the leader of an assassins guild. But it gives me the idea that their their go-to default position is going to be I am going to be stealthy. I'm going to try to get the drop on someone the same way that your gloom stalker rogue should always be thinking about I'm sticking to the shadows. Right? So they're not always going to, they'll go to the marketplace sometimes, but their default should be, and they should make an effort to point out to you that they're doing it. So I've got a couple of questions. Do you guys disagree with what I just
1: said? Like I kind of went off on a tangent there, but not entirely. Um, I will say that I think it may also be dependent on the person who is um, detecting the self as well. You have to kind of take that uh, take that into account from a, a character's per, uh, point of view as well, because well, if if you are bumbling through the forest as a player character and you stumble upon something with a very high, who uh, active perception something that may not necessarily um be hunting you but you stumble upon it nonetheless i think there has to be some form of a of a trade off there too right well that's how the passive perception score works in fedet yeah. right so and it's supposed
2: to be the stealth check that they're making against their passive against their opponent's passive perception so this is what like if everybody's walking down a trail for example uh and they're not talking, their eyes are open and they're looking around. That's still just passive perception until they start rolling perception checks. And at that point, that is a direct stealth versus perception, right? Or uh, their stealth or false appearance or whatever it is versus investigation. And now we have active roles going on, and that's very straightforward and very simple. And we don't usually pop off initiative based on that. It, It happens sometimes, but it's usually sneaking in against the passive perception, which is why fucking rogues are such a pain in the ass because they've just rangers as, and monks as well they've all just like just boosted that passive perception like crazy and um i just when i think about the surprise that has to happen if both sides are being equally sneaky and also listening it's whoever is the stealthiest right you you're going to have multiple people that are all sitting there with multiple passive perceptions not everybody's going to be listening all of the time for everything I look at the overland movement rules. If you are on guard, you move more slowly. You move at half your rate because you are actively looking for things. If your players are moving at the standard 30 feet per round through the dungeon corridors, they're not actively looking. Therefore, yeah. here comes the stealth. That's fair. Yeah,
0: that's fair. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So um, let's grab dice. I have some questions.
0: Okay. Six.
2: Seven. Fifteen. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I will be talking is- to myself. There we go. Sorry. So, how do you feel? First of all, let's talk about initiative for a second. How do you feel about the fact that initiative is rolled as opposed to the mechanic like in Call of Cthulhu? For those that don't know, in Call of Cthulhu, your dexterity determines where you land in initiative. Your dexterity score does not change. Shit can happen to you and it can go up and down, but like that's it. If you have a gun in your hand and all you need to do is get a shot off, then you get a plus 50 to your initiative, right? So like it's it's wild. Keeping in mind that all the scores are, are percentile based, right? So everybody's dexterity is between like 45 and 85, right? And the but you can have this plus 50 because you got a gun pulled. But you know when when you sit down at the table, you know roughly where you're going to be in initiative. When you design your character to only have 45 dexterity, you're going last in initiative. You can pretty much guarantee that. I really, really like the idea of rolling and keeping things random and mixing it up. But man, did that streamline initiative and keep things trucking along with Call of Cthulhu. We had a big table of six people. Six very opinionated argumentative people <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I loved it. I, I every every part of it was phenomenal. However, had we been dealing with d and d initiative, that would have just crawled and we were playing, you know seven thirty to ten thirty. so three hours every other week for a while there. and like, we were barely getting shit accomplished in the first place. And especially with people avoiding combat as much as possible, except for clearly Dave, who I think was on his fourth character by the time that we stopped. Yeah. Getting... <laughs> so, Dave
0: was just ready to roll. He's like, all right,
1: let's do this.
2: Let's go. Dave's
0: Characters are always like kind of ready for a good scrap. Like, just the type I think he had, like, a mechanic. So, and I know this is something we would automatically find, but it's like more likely to pull out a wrench and hit you with it than, say, a librarian, like, at any time. Or he had, like, a hunter, I think, at one point.
2: He had a couple of hunters, and at least one of them was a a pugilist, (laughs) if I remember correctly. So, um, yeah, okay. I really like the streamlining of initiative um, and making it so that you know, like, one of the best things about fifth edition compared to other systems when it comes to initiative is you're not re-rolling initiative every round some systems do that and it's fucking wild you want to talk about slowing a game down holy shit
0: My yeah turn? i i okay yeah, so, so sean, the, initiative, the round part is it me next
1: no sean
2: you want to with a six <gasps>
0: okay Okay.
1: I'm, ex- I'm excited. Um I come at this from a bit of a different point of view. Um I've I've played in systems that have been on one end of the spectrum and the complete opposite end of the spectrum and it really comes down to what the system is trying to to enshrine as its central thesis, right? Whether or not it's coming at combat uh, it, Initiative systems, specifically in combat, as it relates to being tactical, versus whether or not you're trying to tell a story as a group. Um, for instance, um, I played in a system back in the day called Alpha Omega. Alpha Omega, you had, you know, six segments of of time that you could actually play within, or and. You had to split your dice between them. So even though you had an initiative stat that you had to roll against, you still had decisions to make depending on when other people were playing. Or Shadowrun, where you can have multiple... Or similar to Shadowrun, where you would have multiple, um, multiple turns within a round, uh, depending on how high you rolled with your initiative there. Um, to the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm, I'm thinking games like uh Lancer, where it's really, I mean, sorry, not Lancer, that would be Spire, actually, where it would be more GM discretion. It would be more, well, what do you guys think? Who should be going first in this? Right? It kind of cuts a lot of the surprise variable out of it as well. But.
2: About four years ago, I got a message from a listener that was like, hey, come check out my homebrew campaign. We're streaming it. We put it up on YouTube mm-hmm. and I watched about four episodes of it. But the thing that brought me back over and over again, I was fascinated by the fact that they had pooled initiative. So everyone would roll initiative. The DM would, would tally it all up and say, okay, you guys ended up, the four of you ended up with an initiative roll of 67. Everybody pull out the points that you want to use to determine what order you're going to go in. And then I'll tell you where the monsters slot in after that. And oh, that's went, cool. That is really neat. You guys are in more control of who's going to go when and, and pairing up and trying to get, you know, some synergy going. But fuck, it took eight minutes for mm-hmm. them to,
1: to negotiate that. Yeah. Right. So the the inverse, uh, well, not the inverse, but directly contrasting that is a system like Mork, Borg or Cyborg where you roll a d6 to find out whether or not the players go first or the NPCs go first. And after that, it's pretty much fluid if you want it to be. So it's, It's I love that system.
2: It is such a free for all and I love it.
1: It, 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 it makes it more of a storytelling experience and
2: yeah. It it also fits the themes of chaos that Mork Borg really embrace. Right. So, Yes. Whereas something like Call of Cthulhu, with their initiative structure, it's rigid. But Call of Cthulhu is rigid, and it's not supposed to be about combat, and you're supposed to be following the rules and doing the next step and investigating, solving the mystery. So that initiative feels very, very natural for that kind of gameplay, those themes that it's covering. It's interesting because Dungeons & Dragons, especially 5th edition, are combat-focused. We don't we don't give a shit about exploration or or role-playing not by the not by the mechanics right the mechanics themselves when you look at the the character uh features that they get at the different classes as they level up when you look at the majority of the shit they get from their backgrounds shit they get from their uh the races or species as we're going to call them moving forward um or like even the most of the feats it's got a combat mechanic attached to it that is what we show up for even though critical role has made it popular for people to spend an entire session sitting in a bar, right? So it's just it's interesting how combat heavy the rule set is for fifth ed, considering how we don't really get a whole lot of combat rules. Is that dependent on the
1: table then? What do you mean? Is is the we only care about combat sentiment because of the, the style that the people around the table are specifically look at uh, around your table versus say matt mercer's table where they're trying to tell more of a story
2: no my players love role playing they would spend all day role playing if they could but Mm -hmm. every time that they level they get nothing for role playing as a matter of fact the role playing subclass that exists the purple dragon knight is largely considered to be the shittiest class out there or subclass out there because you can't fucking do anything in combat you are just a base fighter with nothing else interesting So your level progression sucks outside of um, ASIs and regular, like, um, fighter nonsense. So it is clearly a game design decision that they have made it so that every, or the majority of the mechanics that exist, whenever we get something new, it directly impacts combat. We do get some details about exploration. We get a couple little things about role playing, but... How many magic items exist? Terry, you've poured through magic item lists for 5th edition. How many of them exist for combat and are supposed to be used in initiative? And how many of them are used for exploration or role-playing?
0: Well, see, yeah, that's it. Because we tend to shy away from the more exploration-heavy parts of the game. Like the Ranger, for example, is more exploration-heavy class, right? And so, you know, we shy away from it. I, I agree with what Sean is saying in that is it dependent on the table? Yes, it always is, but to Adam's point, it's by the mechanics. Things tend to lean toward... If you're reading a module, the me- it, the mechanics tend to be combat-based, and then you get a little gray box that says the tower is 30 feet tall and there's a few trees around. It's kind of swampy and it might be difficult to read. That's the exploration part that you have. And then everything else is geared towards combat. And so we have to rely upon the DM or the dynamics of the table to bring the exploration pillar to the forefront because by the text... A lot of things are combat-based. combat, combat based.
2: I think this is a holdover from 3.5. Th- look, AD&D and 3.5 were very, very noodly. There were so many different rules. There was a rule for every occasion. Fourth edition gamified it. We were no longer moving by feet. We were moving by squares, right? And it was very much, you have a daily power. Everyone has a daily power. They are scaled at about this rate. For literally everybody. The balance is very good, but it's also very boring. But every, all of those powers were combat, 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 combat because we'd spent the last two editions min maxing. So the game designers knew this. And so when they started to do fifth edition, they went combat heavy because it's sword and sorcery. You're there to slay dragons and to get loot, right? Like that's, that's the, if I had to explain this to my mother, I would not be telling her about. Well, there's a buxom barmaid sometimes, and like, no, I'm talking about we that this fucking eye monster comes out and starts shooting out rays out of its face and like and because that's the fantastical, that's the spectacular, right? That that people sign up for. As much as everyone's here for a good old-fashioned dick joke, they're really here for for the combat, right? And that's why people show up because there's a definitive win state we beat these monsters. It's hard to beat an environment. It's hard to beat a a role-playing scenario. You don't have the same sort of, of catharsis that comes from that as you do lopping the goblins head off, right? And I think the game designers knew that. This is what fifth edition brings to the table. That's what they want. Sean is sitting here narrowing his eyes at me like, that's not true. And I'm like, it's not true for everybody, but it's true for most people. They show up because they want to slay dragons.
0: John looks like he's been trying to hold in disgust for like at least 3 minutes.
2: Look, <laughs> the, look the grimace dungeons, on my face. It's Dungeons and Dragons. It's not rock slides and role playing, right? Like it's it's very clearly geared towards adventure. They want us to be fighting cave trolls under Moria. That's what people want to well they want to fight balrogs and do the helm is deep, right?
0: Okay, I got. I'm going to jump in and give my 10 cents on initiative here. Yeah, because we got to. I think we probably have to move on. We'll be here all day. Uh, so, how do I feel about the fact that uh, initiative rolls, supposed to the mechanics, in Call of Cthulhu? That was the question, right? In, or, or other games. M- the most important thing for me when it comes to initiative is we must set the excitement of the combat to come, and then we have to try and maintain it. The the initiative that we use within D&D is exciting because we don't know where we're going to land in the initiative, we don't know what that means for how we'll contribute to the combat or our survivability in that case, but it slows it down. So we run the risk of losing that excitement that we're trying to build, as opposed to a system like in Call of Cthulhu, where the initiative order is set... You reduce excitement in the sense that you always know where you're going to go. And if you're always going last, you're probably going to be least excited for the combat anyway, or just worrying that you're going to die. And we lose the excitement. Um, uh, but Sorry, but we we gain the, the pacing, right? We increase the pace, and we can get to the combat very quickly. So we can keep excitement there. So there's a balancing act to be had. And while d d is exciting based on the order that you'll go in, it slows the combat down right from the start, and we lose that excitement with it.
2: One of the things that I've noticed to keep the excitement up, just really quickly because you mentioned pacing, uh, Dan, who is the most experienced dungeon master that I know these days, um, his have you guys seen him DM? It is fucking frantic. He is running through two people's turns at the same time while getting three more people ready to go right now. And by the way, here comes the fucking goblins, and he just throws seven dice at the table and says, okay, well, the green one was the first one and the blue one was the third one. And so they they hit, but nobody else does. They're all going to run forward. And it's it's chaos. It's hectic. It's managed. He does it. It's very exciting. But the players are just, if you're, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, if you're a new player, it's overwhelming how right. fast it hits. So I know that there are some DMs that just like to really hit that intensity right off the bat. However, that makes tracking shit really hard, right? When somebody gets hex put on them, or this person's going to be incapacitated for two rounds, or how many key points has the monk used, right? Like tracking this shit becomes complicated and you miss stuff. How do you feel about the fact that initiative is static in fifth edition? People rarely move up and down the list in initiative the way that they do in most other systems. I'm okay with it because it's one less thing to manage, but it does make the combat, I don't want to say boring, but predictable by the time you hit about round three. So it's it's a trade-off. I would be, if there were more things, more monsters that could drop someone in initiative, I would be very interested in that. I like that a lot.
1: We're playing a games a game with wands and wizards and multi-dimensional beings and insanity at all times. So it really is very, very strange to me that everybody can only move once in six seconds. It's, it's yeah, there has to be some rules, right? <laughs> right. And, and, and I get that, but if if initiative is based on dexterity, ostensibly based on it on dexterity, why is it that a low dex character and a high dex character are polar opposites when it comes to initiative It 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 just doesn't make sense to me so i i suppose to answer the question um i don't like that it's static it's it's kind of i mean yes you have to have the rules yes it does give people the ability it should give people the ability to be able to read their spells and figure out what they're going to be doing next but at the same time it's not really realistic is it i mean
2: at some point, we've got to we have to acknowledge the fact that it is a game, that exactly a that is just trying to emulate real life, and there has to be limitations on it. There are some things that are just not. Re- you want to talk about not realistic? Let's get into my forty-five minute rant on drowning mechanics. Terry's heard this more than fucking once. <laughs> he's already zoned out. So, like, <laughs> but like there are just some things that we've got to take a deep breath, pardon the pun, and move <laughs> the fuck on. So,
0: yeah, I would counter Sean's point john you do raise some good points i'm not just trying to shit up i mean no, please. It, 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 it is quite realistic because yeah each round is six seconds each combat is about 30 seconds of real life and in that 30 seconds multiple things blow up there's spells going off all over the place for some reason somebody is not moving anymore somebody has just been disintegrated and all of this happens very very quickly so if you're a person who is slow to react like a wizard as opposed to a rogue and yeah, you're going to go last in the initiative order. I kind of take that as it's going to take you about 15 seconds to realize what the hell is going on at all. You know, like if you think about it, in real life, you know, it'll, it'll take you half that combat to figure out the situation in general. So I don't worry too much about that. I don't mind the combat static because I don't whoever rolled lowest in initiative. I take it as six seconds later, you probably still don't have a grip on the situation.
2: That's one of my least favorite things when I watch like brawls in movies is suddenly the brawl ends and the guy stands up and just like shakes it off and and moves on. I've seen fights. I have been in fights. It's been a long ass time since I've been in a fight. But when the fight is done, they're still like the people that win, the guys that stand up that are like, okay, hey, yeah, we did it, are still looking around like, okay, where's the next fucking attack coming from? They're still freaked the fuck out. Right, the yeah. adrenaline is pumping, the blood is still in their knuckles, and they're like, huh, 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 and they're gonna go home, drink a beer, cry themselves to sleep, and end up in therapy about this shit. Right, but in D anD D, we just drop out of it. Everybody quaffs a potion, and off they fucking go. Right, and so like there is just some gamification that needs to happen here. Um, what is one? Everybody choose one effective way to speed up initiative in your opinion. For me, I mean, it's the tried and tested. I always telegraph whose turns are next, right? It's Sean, you're going first Terry, you're on deck, then the goblins are going to go. And then Dan, that's you, right? Like, and, and then the moment it it hits the goblins turn like, all right, so the goblins are going, and then Dan's going to go and then we're back up to Sean and Terry you're after. So every couple of rounds, I cue everybody up again so that they know okay i better hurry up and check
1: my fucking spell list and figure out what my plan is right yeah on that on that token i i i agree um you know to being able to remind people who's on deck and who's 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 coming up is great but as a dm i've also played around with the idea of just handing that off to a player at my table that i trust right and i give them a physical like a physical initiative tracker so that they have well these are the magnets that have everybody's names, and we can see who's coming next. And we can see, you know, oh, now we can visually see when somebody moves their initiative, you know, delays their action or what have you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I don't mind if the initiative order is visible to everyone. Uh, where I play, I often have the whiteboard there and I'll write it out. And I'll, even if I know that there's monsters coming around in later rounds, I will just leave a gap. And it freaks my players out. Go, well, what? Why is there a gap between this player and this player? Something is probably going to happen. I don't mind because even though it's a little bit meta to do that, it's still exciting. I'm still bringing excitement to the game somehow. Something else that I do is I give my players thirty seconds to make a decision on their turn. Don't worry about moving the minis. Don't worry about we'll get in the markers. But who's got hex or whatever. But if you're taking five minutes a turn and there's six players, that's 30 minutes a round. If there's four rounds, that's two hours. We can't be doing this. So you have 30 seconds to cement your decision and then we'll move the minis around. And I don't like this going back and forth. Oh, actually, I won't do that because of this is happening. It's like chess to me. When you take your fingers off the piece or we say, I say, are you doing that? And you say, yes. That is what's happening. But everybody gets 30 seconds to make a decision.
2: You guys have, like, my, my other go-to thing, I said one one a piece, but it's been so helpful for me to have all the NPCs go at once, like the non-combatant NPCs. They all go at once. All of the mounts go at once. All of the... And I, as a DM, will just roll them in at the beginning of initiative, and that's where they fucking stay, right? And they all have, like, standard defense or run, or yeah, I will hit something if it comes with, close to me but they are just non-factors. They're in initiative but they're not doing anything. I lump all like characters together. If there's a bunch of orcs, then all the orcs go in the same turn. If there's an orc war chief, then the war chief has a separate place in initiative. Or they go first and all the other orcs then follow them, right? So, do you guys lump together like that for initiative sake or do you find that disingenuous? Cuz I know a
1: lot of people would rather mix it up for me i i'm always more about the story than i am the mechanics i'm very liberal when it comes to the rule of cool um and like if you attack a horse there's a chance it's going to bolt yeah right or even if it gets hit by an aoe there's a chance it's going to bolt and that has such a drastic change on a combat that has such a drastic change on an encounter that um i feel it's it's cheapening to not provide that to the players
2: yeah i think you misunderstand they don't get to go until they're turning initiative but yeah if you hit them with an area of effect they will fuck off on their next round on the next turn right but they all go together right like they don't necessarily move together but terry you've seen this whenever i'm running a shit ton of npcs and i am famous for filling a map of with civilians then when it gets to zero or twenty or wherever I've decided they're going to land, they will all move their movement speed in some direction, and the ones that are going to end up in combat, they, I will just roll six d20s all at once to say that one hit, that one hit, that one missed, that one hit, that one hit, right, and then so then boof, there we go, and and we're done. I want I want every everything else that is not a direct combatant or is not a set piece creature. So like 12 goblins, no single goblin is important there. They're all just goblins, right? On my initiative tracker, they would be goblin one, two, three, right? Like they don't have names. They're just, they don't have names until you kill all of them and capture one. That one gets a fucking name, right? But until then, their environment and they move like layer actions do for me. They go on this initiative and then we're fucking done and it should take less time than a player's turn.
0: Yeah agreed agreed that's how i do it as well pets usually i'll just let them go on the player's turn yeah but uh, mostly the same as you they all they all go once they're not the heroes of the story they're not important they don't even know what they're doing anyway so i'll just move you know i'll, I'll move them all at the same time and then put the focus back on the player characters
2: or or the villain or the set the beholder the beholder yeah. gets a full fucking like spectacle of a turn right but seven goblins in the corner don't i don't that, that's not what we're here for today. We're, those guys are fodder, and everybody yeah. knows it.
0: And I move them collectively, take their actions collectively, them, move them all at the same time, put them all in position, they may be flanking you now, and then they all make their attacks at the same time, because that's how they would operate. They don't operate as individuals. They would, if, if they're combatants, mobs like that, they're operating as a team.
2: Yeah. Um. How do we feel about the surprise mechanic? I don't hate it. I find it confusing for players to learn it the first couple of times, but once they get a handle on the fact that we got surprised. I I can't do much this round. That's fine. Whatever. It is what it is.
0: Yeah, it's. I think just keep it simple. And that that one line I repeated was: if you are not trying to be stealthy, then uh, then you both sides notice each other It's on an individual basis. So it's not team. So it's not round based. Just keep it simple. The more you try and change that rule, it's it's going to make it more complex.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you know, if they're not being stealthy, they're not being stealthy nobody's going to think about it afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah fair enough.
2: So uh, let's jump in real quick to talk about reactions because this is something that I find most people understand until they except when they absolutely fucking don't. So uh, your turn... That you get is made up of movement, so you get to move up to your speed. You get a bone, or you get your action, and then you might get a bonus action. I always play that you get an interaction as well, so uh, you can open a door, or draw a weapon, or stow a weapon. You can do one interaction as part of your movement, standard, right? But I will also let you talk for a full six seconds to get a bunch of information out if it's necessary on top of everything else, or. Um, I, as, as we run by, I'm going to knock the candle over and see if it can start a fire. Sure, man. Like that takes literally nothing for you to do. Go ahead. But the moment you've got to put time, effort, energy, you got to open the latch. You've got to uh, pull the draw string. you got to do something. No, that's, that's it. You've done too much already. Like you got to burn an action on that. Right. So, but everybody also has a reaction and a reaction is An instant response to a trigger of some kind. And here's the part that people forget, which can occur on your turn or on someone else's. Which means if someone uses, if you move and you don't disengage and they get an opportunity attack on you, it is your turn, you can get shield up. That is a reaction to cast that to give yourself a plus five to AC.
1: Uh, am I wrong in remembering that rules as written, it consumes your bonus action?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's not correct. Oh. No. That's uh, the way uh,
1: I've always played it, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, Sean? You've ruined hours of fun for everybody.
1: <laughs> How dare you get it wrong? That's it <laughs> so
2: the idea here is that when you take a reaction, you can't take another one until the start of your next turn. If the reaction interrupts another creature's turn... That creature can continue its turn right after the reaction. So this is pretty standard. It's just a part of, but people forget they can do it in the middle of their turn. And that is so important.
0: Yeah. So now all of a sudden, hellish rebuke. Somebody takes an opportunity attack against you because you're moving on your turn. You can use your reaction for hellish rebuke yeah on you your turn.
2: Have, If you have a spell that goes off and, and requires a reaction like shield to go off, that does not impact. Your action spell casting the way that a bonus action sometimes does, right? So right. understanding that your reaction can be during your turn might just change how wizards are. Every wizard disengages because they don't want to get hit. No man, I got shield and I haven't used my reaction yet. I'm just gonna disengage so I can get my full movement away and get hit because bloop plus five to AC, right? I would I will absolutely do that a hundred times more often than than most people that I that I see. Uh, thinking that they've got to use a reaction on someone else's turn. And the confusion comes from legendary actions, and I'll get into that in a minute. I do want to mention really quickly that reactions are something that have always existed in a lot of other games as well. They don't always call it a reaction. As a matter of fact, in 3.5, they just had uh, attacks of opportunity, right? Um, Call of Cthulhu's got some really interesting rules about it. One of my favorite things about it is if you are being attacked uh, at range, someone is shooting at you, you can dive for cover as a reaction. And this is, you can move up to your entire regular movement speed as a response to the attack, then you dive behind protective cover. But if you do, it uses up your reaction and your next turn to get back up on your feet. It is a mad dash scramble. So this, like, this is you winding yourself, you land hard on your stomach, right? except for some spells with longer casting times there isn't anything in fifth edition that takes multiple turns to pull off and that feels really weird when you when you say that out loud that feels like there fucking should be something right like a charge up mechanic of some sort when i look at what we have for monsters monsters specifically legendary creatures have a whole lot more options uh, when it comes to the actions that they can do on their turn. And I don't just mean multi-attack because multi-attack is for a monster is different than extra attack for a player, And mo- most players get extra attack. I mean, fuck you rogues but like, everybody else gets every other marshal gets an extra attack For legendary creatures they get four special things they get legendary actions which we have waxed on and on and on about uh repeatedly legendary actions really really simple you get essentially three points and with these three points you get um you can spend one two or three at the end of another creature's turn this is where the confusion comes in with reactions legendary actions have to be after another creature's turn not in the middle of not as a reaction to and not on your turn. You can't even do it at the end of your turn. It has to be at the end of someone else's. And then the most of the legendary creatures have uh, a list one, of different things they can do. One, two, or three actions is, is how much it costs. You get three per turn, it regenerates you know, at the top of initiative again. Some of them recently have been getting mythic actions. We see this with the Great Worms and fizzbands, and we've seen it more and more in recent um, releases where if... You die if the if the creature dies and then comes back because they have their final form, whatever it is. They now get more actions they can do, but it still costs legendary actions to get them off. So it's just like taking your three legendary actions and now you have five to choose from. That's it. You also get lair actions. It says in the monster manual that they are inherently magical in nature, but I fucking hate that because like a lair action... Should have like if you're in a conveyor belt and there's like a like a something swinging back and forth, you know, a a typical kind of trap there. You know, on initiative count 15, this thing is going to swing again. It's mechanical, it doesn't need magical bullshit. There should just be environmental shit going off. And I regularly do that just to make things interesting. Um, and then there's regional effects which are not necessarily actions, although I feel like they're running out of inspiration on what to do with them. The design concept has changed in recent books where regional effects start to look like things popping off on initiative count 20 or zero or 10 or whatever. Originally it was just like, there's more plant life and and beetles that are red are around. And now it's like uh, ice walls sporadically appear or, there was a, I think the blue dragon has, uh, has dust devils, which are air elementals that can move 50 feet that are scouring the area looking for people. That's a regional effect. That really feels like that should be in fucking initiative, mm-hmm. right? So when we are looking at reactions and wh- how legendary creatures and stuff work, we start to think that initiative is a little bit more malleable than it initially looks like according to the player's handbook, which is movement, action, bonus action, reaction, hard stop. Let's grab dice. Let's talk about it for a minute. So let's roll initiative. Four, three, eight. Eight. Sean, you're going first. Huzzah. Okay. How do you feel about the reactions mechanic in fifth edition being able to even be used on your own turn?
1: I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Uh, I mean, uh, I would go as far, however, to say that there aren't enough reactions and that there are certain reactions that aren't included on stat blocks that maybe should be for instance a reaction of a horse bolting across a field after it gets attacked if you spook a horse it's going to be mindless and just go away right i don't know the
2: problem with how fifth edition works is that every round is six seconds and in theory all of the rounds happen at the same time narratively with just, like, milliseconds between them in the order of initiative, right? So, like, when it gets to the horse's next turn, it's only been two seconds since it was, you know, blown up by a fireball. And but and now it's going to run, right? And it feels so fucking strange, right, when you start to extrapolate and look at it and translate the mechanic in, into the real world. I love the idea of there being more mechanics. I think it's fantastic. Terry, what do you
0: think? I love it because now we can start to use those combat type of reactions outside of combat as well. You know, you can you can be picking the lock on the trapped chest and, you know, something, a poison dart will go off or something. And maybe you mechanically do that as an attack roll, which means the wizard can now use shield on their turn if for whatever reason they're involved. I'm just making an example of off the fly. And so you have more opportunities now for these abilities to be used. We can get more creative with the opportunities that they might be used as DMs. Resource management, Uh, we can, as DMs, we have more opportunities for the players to be, you know, using their resources up. And so I feel like there's only more opportunity that's presented with this. Nothing is really taken away or or made worse by allowing us to use reactions on our turn.
2: My only criticism of reactions is that uh, there are all sorts of options for spellcasters. There's very few opportunities for martial characters to do something unique or different. I do think that uh, an alchemist should be able to drink a potion as a reaction. That makes perfect sense to me. We're not going to see that in 5th edition. It's just not how the designers think. Do you think that's ripe for homebrew? Sean, everything in 5th edition is ripe for homebrew. Yes. 5th edition, they say 5th edition is a rule set. It's not rules. Mm -hmm. It is meant to be uh, a framework within which to tell a story. Therefore, do whatever you want. My big beef with fifth edition is it doesn't give us enough tools. It doesn't give us enough inspiration. Hence this podcast where we sit down and look at what they do give us and then say, how are we inspired by it or what they don't give us and say, listen, you motherfuckers, we want to do this. Now we're <laughs> going to make it work. <laughs> right? So, um, yes, absolutely. It's it's ripe for homebrew. I, one of the things that I do is I allow my um, player characters to talk as part of a reaction. Again, I've got a couple of players, Dan being one of them, that love to split the party. Now, that was because in the last campaign, he was the rogue that could move 90 feet around and shit, right? So, like, But he would come back with really important information that was about to pop off and that will impact how the combat that they're currently in is going to change in about a round. But he wasn't able to say anything or do anything that wasn't his turn yet, and I hated that. Dan, you have six seconds. I'm counting them. And I hold up my fingers. One, two, three, four. And he's just babbling as fast as he fucking can to get all the information out. And I go, six. And he goes, stops. But someone else gets to use, uh, like he would use his reaction to do that. Or if you tell, if you yell across the battlefield for Mieka to go, go over there and pull that lever because that'll open up the thing. Mieka can, as a reaction, if she's not going to use it for anything else, respond and say i don't want to do that you should be the one to go do the thing right and communication back and forth otherwise i found my table just screams across the 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 mat at each other across the minis over and over and over again this stops coaching this cuz i have a lot of experienced players and new players at the table right um this stops coaching this stops uh people from having weird miscommunications and it makes the in combat dialogue more important so i will always let them get a couple of words off like yep okay but if you want to pass info or you want to
1: have a conversation burn your reaction to do it do you guys let characters just talk i don't even let uh well yes i don't let the i don't count it as a reaction though um if they're going to try and tell somebody something from across the battlefield i have to remind them you're currently in active combat you are swinging a gigantic axe. You are literally telling me right now how you are casting a spell with verbal components. How are you going to talk to that person over there while you're saying Latin mumbo jumbo over here? It doesn't work that way.
2: This is why I wanted it to be part of a reaction. I needed to give them a space to do it because they they want to talk, but I can't just shut down their, their role playing mid-combat. That's fair. right so that's that's why i created that space at my table but i know that people some people just let it ride and some people lock that shit down and say you can talk after after fighting so
0: yeah, yeah. i like this i like these in the reaction for for speaking i think sean raised a good point there spells and verbal components we forget about those and so if, if if for player characters casting a spell with a verbal component then i would say they need to use their reaction to speak i do also like it for controlling table talk I also like it because it, it it officially makes it part of the turn. So whatever they say or yell is heard by everyone. And it's heard by everyone in real time for, for that game as well. And it also limits how much they'll talk. Because my players will try, they'll get more and more better if I let them go. They'll try and talk as much as they can. They'll so, to, to be able to control that in six seconds, you're using a reaction. And by the way, everybody in this room can hear what you're saying. Uh, it gives a little bit more control. And... Keeps the excitement high in the combat because we put stakes and boundaries on it.
2: The other cool thing about it that I've noticed on my table, because I always have too many rogues, that is just a thing that I have to deal with. But I had Charlie playing, and he was a rogue, and he was hiding. And his whole thing was, I hide around the corner, that I pop out and shoot, and I hide behind the corner again. But he was also trying to give information to people on the other side of the battlefield. I'm like, then you're not fucking hiding. They know you're there. How do they know I was over here? Why are they rushing over here? Because you're talking. But yeah. the moment. That I gamified it, and I said, you use a reaction to do it. It became something he had to think about. And that made it a, a mechanic that he remembered, and it gave it more importance in the moment. We've got legendary actions, layer actions, and regional effects that all, in theory, have their own place within initiative. Usually, layer actions go off at initiative count 20. Hard stop. How do you feel about these inflated rounds? When you're used to just playing against goblins and suddenly now we've got more shit to juggle as well. How do you feel about that as a dungeon master and like like giving that experience to your players?
1: Because that's going to slow down initiative. I feel that has to be taken into account when you're designing the encounter though, right? When you are sitting down and thinking about how this encounter is going to play out, you should probably be cognizant of you know the action economy and bear in mind that if you've got 20 goblins all rolling i mean you could do the dan trick and roll them all at once but even so you still have to resolve actions for 20 different characters on top of all of the lair actions on top of all the legendary actions where do you as a dm decide to draw that line where do you, where do you draw that line of I'm just going to ignore the layer actions because this is taking too long for a pacing perspective. I need to get this moving. So I'm going to ignore them.
2: Honestly, the layer actions are really non-specific about how much of the layer Like all the regional effects are like out to six miles, but layer actions are like within the layer. Does that mean that the guard post directly out front of the gates is part of the layer, mm-hmm. right? Is it, uh, are the perimeter gates part of the layer? Yeah, are the guys
0: exactly part of the layer?
2: Right? Exactly. Right. So So when, when we're dealing with layer actions and shit, I look at the, I bust it down into the geography. And most of the time, like you're not allowed to use the same layer action twice in a row. They list three or more sometimes layer actions. But the idea is that you can't pop off the same thing. You can't just spam it every single round. It's gotta, it's gotta have something that breaks it up a little bit. So I'm always looking at my encounter going, what's the fucking useless one I don't want to use. And that's going to be in the main area where everybody's fighting because it's not going to really impact initiative that much if i want there to be ice walls that are going up in the white dragon's lair and like and that's cool in the middle of combat a a wall of ice appears and separates the party that's really neat i'm going to do that every other round and it's just going to happen here it is i'm not going to make anybody roll i'm not going to make anybody save i'm just going to be like here's the layer action it has changed the environment i love the environment layer actions the moment like 1d4 sturges shows up oh fuck how long is this combat
0: yeah that's a great point it's like what are you doing with the layer actions are you introducing more creatures where the uh the combat is going to take much longer are you just manipulating the terrain a little bit for more of an environmental thing and I enjoy those layer actions and I have them pop in all the time for me it's like the stairs at Hogwarts right that's a layer action stuff keeps changing environmentally okay maybe you can say regional effect because we got this blurred line with it now but layer actions happens on initiative count 20 every turn so for me that's constantly within the layer all the time when you're there stuff is changing the visibility is changing. The walls are moving, and and so I don't mind them going off constantly, as long as they're easy to manage. Like it's environmental stuff that we can move around. It's not slowing down the combat by you know just adding more creatures.
2: I have also a lot of issue with the idea of layer actions only taking place during initiative. Would you guys use them outside of initiative? Your guys, the players are sneaking into the lair. The dragon doesn't know they're there yet. Are the layer actions going off?
0: Yeah. For me, there all the time. Even as you know, if you're rolling perception to look inside the layer and watch what's happening, I'll say, "How long do you want to stand there and study it? I just want to look for a minute or so to see what's going on." Okay, I'll describe how the environment keeps changing in front of you every few seconds.
1: I agree. I think it depends on the scenario. If if the layer action is being described as something that is environmental, then yes like it's it's something that should be able to happen outside of combat outside of the initiative order but if it's something that happens specifically as an attack or something that happens specifically targeting the players perhaps we keep trying to keep that inside i don't know i think i feel as if there's there's a time and place for both
0: right and it's what do you want to achieve with it right don't just have stuff going off all the time if it's just going to if it's going to make the game less enjoyable because we just have to work around this now but if it's if it's adding to the excitement, then sure, it's there for you to use. It's a mechanic to use.
1: In in my head, it's the difference between a layer action being a, a dust storm and magical darkness, right? Magical darkness could be, you know, targeted on a player during a, a, a battle, whereas a dust storm is something that happens naturally in the environment. Right.
2: They usually save that kind of stuff for the regional effects, but not always. Sometimes that is a layer action and honestly for me when my players are, are running around the layer i will have the layer actions go off once a minute and then when the enemy when the boss the owner of the layer becomes aggravated they speed up to be once around right. and that's how i balance that otherwise take the ice walls for example because that's one of the ones for the white dragon holy shit at 10 times in a minute Ice walls are popping up. There'd be nothing left. This would just be a full iceberg. We've run out of room for more walls, right? It's It's fair. So um, do you guys ever telegraph that a creature has legendary actions? Do you ever let the players know ahead of time? Because I've seen, okay, I'm specifically thinking of the Merolith. The Merolith is the six-armed snake woman demon who is Mm -hmm. super fast. She has, I think it's seven reactions. One for each scimitar and a tail so that she can parry, 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 parry. When I did that for the first time for Jamie, he flipped his shit. He was having none of that. What do you mean you have two reactions? He was mad as fuck. I had to hand him the monster manual. This is rules is written. Sit down. Right? Like it that was that was very much an issue. I have also seen players go, wait a minute. It Terry. That happened to you when when the um when the death tyrant killed titus and then or not titus um killed uh solomon and solomon died and then was raised the next round there were no saves in here there was no heals you were just on desecrated ground and died from its ray and boop you're back the look on your face is like holy shit that was fast and i yeah. wasn't expecting it to be this deadly this quickly
0: that's true you're always thinking we've got options we got death sets we've got this you're counting how many rounds away the other players are. You're like, okay, well, they can get to me in two rounds. It shouldn't be too bad. But that it just happens so quickly. But it's the same thing with the Maryland, right? Multiple reactions. It, it all happens so fast.
2: So do you guys? Do you guys telegraph that somehow? It depends.
0: I sorry, Sean. You're going first.
1: No, sorry. I apologize. No, no, you um, went first in initiative. It's up to you, Sean. Okay, I. I, I again come down to it depends on the scenario. Terry, let me ask you in the in the case with with Solomon where he died and was immediately raised, how oh, much of an emotional impact did you have to that? How much do you remember that?
0: Oh yeah, it probably one of the things in DD, my 10 years of DD that I remember the most is that situation.
1: Now how much would you remember it if you had to if if you, had to go through a round of death saves and stuff like that as well.
0: Yes, uh, it, it it depends on what's happening with each round, right? The players yeah. getting closer, the, the stakes kind of uh, building here. But it was for me it was a significant moment because there was none of that. Mm-hmm. It was just happened so quickly, bang, bang, and then to to come back as undead immediately. It was uh, it was very impactful.
1: Yeah, I feel like that the the, the y- you lose that potency. It becomes impotent almost, right? If mm-hmm. Anyways,
2: you can also have like sheer impending dread. I killed um uh one two three. I killed three player characters plus Megan's sidekick, who was a love interest, and about four beloved NPCs. Um, all in the same combat uh, earlier this year, and they were all making death saves, and it did not fucking matter. Uh, Charlie didn't make a death save; he got pulled into a, a sphere of annihilation. But like. <laughs> everybody else as, as, as you do right like but <laughs> but everybody else was sitting there like like jaw on the table going holy shit i have failed two death saves and the enemy's walking towards my struggling body right and they knew shit was hitting the fan and it slowed down to slow motion and they they, they talk about it to this day still right even though they're on new characters and they're playing you know in a different part of the world it that still hurts that still hurts a lot. So. It's interesting, um, I I have... Uh, the worst reaction I've ever had at a table was when I gave a vampire a sword attack as a legendary action. They already have legendary actions. I just didn't want it to be a bite. I wanted it to be a sword. And he used the sword and murdered Dan's character's pregnant daughter. So, like, that, like, skewered through the pregnant belly and Dan fucking flipped. But his complaint was... That's not fair. They can't do that by the stat block. And again, I'm like, yeah, not in the regular stat block, but this is a boss with a name. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, there's more to it than this. And you should have known that. I've been doing it all combat. It just didn't matter until now. And like, he, he was pissed because there was legendary actions that aren't normally there. Whenever I go outside of a stat block, I've got some players like Megan and Charlie who are just happy to be there. Mieka will just go along with anything that I do because she doesn't fucking know. Dave and Dan, I could take a throat in each hand and squeeze until they turn red in the face because they know the stat blocks and they will say, you are going with max hit points then? Like, a, fuck off. And, and B, I'm just going to start pulling homebrew shit left, right, and center so that you don't know what the hell we're doing. I'm just going to reskin everything. But when it comes to big bosses, I have to telegraph legendary actions now. I want there to be the emotional impact of the story, not the emotional impact on the mechanic, right?
0: Yeah. I think when you have those players like that, Dave and Dan are two examples, where you can telegraph this out of love, really. You can say that both of you have been playing D&D for so long. In order for me to keep this exciting for you and to give you new challenges, I must change the stat block. Otherwise, I would be doing you a disservice as your dungeon master. That's kind of how I would present it to them, I think.
1: I feel that as a DM, you're constantly moving or playing, towing that line where you have to make something that is impactful, but also not remove player agency completely. And yeah, it's that's a difficult balancing act.
2: Especially because you're not in control of what the players pick up on, right? Like, like Terry said, sometimes you just have to go meta. You just have to do it. And I'm not above doing that. I often say, hey, guys, we are going to do this. Um, one of the things that I often do is uh, I focus on skill challenges for epic combat. If they are going to fight a mountain that has grown a face and arms, there's no way for them to do that. It's a fucking mountain but you know you have to hit a bunch of runes on this or lop off the hand to do the thing, or Whatever, then that's a skill challenge. We're just going to do a skill challenge. Here it is. So we've done a big epic moment of, of you're going to run over there. they are going to go do this. Instead of me getting mired in initiative order, right, I can roll initiative and say, okay, what are you doing here? And you two people are next. And then we go bang, 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 bang. And it's all skill checks or spells or whatever they want to do for the challenge. But But it gets me out of that like drawn out combat where it's just a bunch of, of, if I can be honest, we can dress up whatever we want with the fanciest language we have and talk about characters and agency and plot and storylines. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we are just choosing which multi-sided piece of plastic, throwing it down and determining whether or not yes or no. And that's the outcome. And we need to find more interesting ways of of addressing these multi-sided pieces of plastic. Right? And that's kind of the goal of, of the Dungeon Master, to really like pull all the romance off of it. We've got to make their dice matter and our dice matter in the most interesting ways possible. And sometimes initiative is not that fucking... Is not, it's not the best way to do that, by a damn sight. So I find initiative is helpful. I make people roll initiative all the time outside of combat when it comes to We're splitting the party to explore three different rooms. Roll initiative, who goes first, just so that we can put spotlights on different groups, right? I use initiative a lot for stuff because it's a useful tool. One of the things that I really want to focus on is the idea of the chase mechanics. And I know we've spoken about this in the past on the podcast, but it's been a while. And we've all seen chases now in Call of Cthulhu and other... Uh, stuff as well, so we've got a little bit better perspective on what Fifth Edition has to offer for for chases. So, let me run through the uh, mechanics on this really quickly. So, the very first thing you're supposed to do is uh, establish the initiative order, and then you as a dungeon master have to determine the starting distance between the different parties and track the distance as they continue to move. So, this right now means you need a notepad and pens, and you've got to keep track of this. I immediately wipe the minis clean. I clear off the map and then I put the minis in order of who's closest. And then as people move and like in a straight line so that there's a visual representation for, for my players. Um, but I go to theater of the mind, right? There's no more. I'm not running around a small map. That's not what a chase is for. Chases for like overland or through a marketplace or something complicated. Here's the mechanic. Any character can dash a number of times equal to their constitution modifier plus three. Just a reminder, a dash is just when you use your action in order to move your movement speed again. So if you have 30-foot movement speed, you move your 30 feet, and then you dash for another 30 feet, right? However, in a chase scenario, we're still using initiative, but we're dropping out of our standard rounds. What you can do is you can dash a number of times equal to your constitution modifier plus three, which means a barbarian with 20 con can move its movement speed up to eight times using her dash action and then move her movement speed again because you get your standard movement. So that means that that 30 feet just turned into 270 feet and everybody moves like that. Each time you dash beyond your normal action, you have to make a DC 10 constitution check. This is not a save. It is just a check. If you fail, you take one level of exhaustion. Exhaustion is absolutely fucking deadly in 5th edition, right? And by the time I think it's 3rd level of exhaustion, you're only moving half your speed. So you get winded quickly and down you go. And I don't care who you are or what your modifiers are, a DC 10 con check, because it's not a save, you will fail that eventually, especially if you're rolling it 8 times on your turn, right? So... So, for the barbarian with a 20 constitution, they move the movement speed. That's 30 feet. Then they dash as part of their action. That's 30 feet. So now they've gone 60. And every 30 feet beyond that, they have to make a check. They could literally die by the end of their turn if they keep failing because they could get to exhaustion level six. So, anyone participating in the chase cannot make opportunity attacks. The idea here is that everybody's moving in the same direction. So, you don't have that option. But anyone who was not chasing, and anyone who's not being chased can make opportunity attacks. For example, if you try to run through the gate but the town guard is there, they can swipe at you on the way by. The person getting chased can attempt to hide by using a stealth check, assuming none of the pursuers can see them, and they have the ability to do so on their turn. Which means if they've dashed six times, they don't have an action to do the hide check. Just, they just can't. Unless they're a fucking rogue, because rogues get bonus actions that lets them get extra dashes and they can hide as a as a bonus action and shit. So rogues suddenly in chases become really 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 important. And as a matter of fact, I would give most of my chases that I set up. I would give um, the enemy who's being pursued rogue shit. I'm gonna get them, let them get a sneak attack in and combat first. Or, or like wear a whole bunch of black cloaks and uh, stick to the shadows, so they know when they take off and they start doing shit on their bonus actions, oh, we're fighting a rogue because, fuck, like they're so powerful compared to everybody else. When it comes to the hide check, it's up against the pursuer's passive perception. It doesn't matter if they're looking around. You roll a stealth against anybody who has passive perception who is trying to hunt you, but you've got to be out of their sight. So you turn a corner into a marketplace and you dive under a table, they turn the corner, they can't see you, you've done a stealth move, and their passive perception is not enough to get you, they will just keep running by you. They don't stop to look, the chase isn't over, they just fuck off. Bam, down they go. There are no rules about investigation checks to find them afterwards, so it is assumed that if they beat the passive perception, they just get away. Otherwise, the chase ends when one side stops, or when the pursuers get close enough that they can use their action for grappling instead of dashing. There are some details in the DMG about adding chase complications, mapping the chase, and adding more people to the chase, but it's all pretty straightforward shit, which is just like advantage disadvantage on stuff, or here's some kind of things that can happen in an urban setting or a wilderness setting. We're dungeon masters, we 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 know how we know how urban settings and wilderness settings work at this point. Like I, I don't feel the need to go through those D twenty tables. So um how do you guys feel about chase mechanics in fifth edition let's roll initiative
0: let's roll five
2: four (laughs) fifteen the curse of going first so sean you never want to go first because then you've got to answer the question right off the bat you never want to go last because someone else already took your answer so terry's got the sweet spot we have determined this over how many years of podcasting like second is the sweet spot that sounds
1: about right you also get the ability to agree at that point as well.
0: I find <laughs> yeah. a quick side note, the mailbag episodes are the hardest to go first because you don't know what's coming, what that question is. At least I know it's going to be on the topic of chase mechanics for this, you know.
2: Yeah, uh, we're so- not we're not asking about your, your least favorite horror movie from 2013 or what's your favorite sex move was one of the first ones. Like We answer every question that comes to us in the mailbags, regardless. Sometimes those questions just get us to laugh very, very loudly, make Dan feel uncomfortable, and then we move all the fuck on. But, like, yeah. So, how do you feel about chase mechanics in 5th Ed, Sean?
1: I feel as if they can be sufficiently deadly and they should be used sparingly. They should be used sparingly because they're deadly. Mm -hmm. Um, Exhaustion, you're right. Exhaustion will... Well, a couple party real fast and uh yeah i i like them they're kind of scary though not gonna lie i also feel like they're probably a little bit overcomplicated. but that's whatever that's the system
0: it's very they're very complicated they're far too complicated for me and i've started to, to introduce chases more often i really simplified the mechanics for this i i I, I basically make it as the list of factors. I forget what they're called. The uh, They chase complications. I just yeah. have every round complication. I basically run it as a skill check. And I I the, the amount of rounds that you can chase is equal to... I forget what we say. Is it your... Something plus your constitution modifier? I have it written out somewhere. It's three and plus I, your con, yeah. Three plus your con modifier is the amount of rounds that your player character can chase this creature. After that, if you continue after that, you will take a level of exhaustion. That's it. I I try and reduce the rolls. The fun comes in what the complication is for in each round for everyone and how you navigate that, whether it's a bunch of boxes in the alleyway or something. But I I try and really simplify it. It's way too complicated. And people will not take fun or their happiest memories will not be about how complicated this chase was.
2: You want to know the thing that drives me nuts on this? There's not a fucking roll to be found. Yeah. It's just decision. Sean, it's your turn. I'm assuming you're going to move your full movement speed. I'm assuming you're going to move your, your full um, dash. And now we have additional dashes to use. You've got a, you've got four more. How many do you want to use? You and sit you the- just tell me how many, and then you start making con saves, right? Like, that's it. There's no... You are not rolling to catch anyone. You're rolling to not fall behind.
0: Uh, see, I do it as everybody the enemy as well so the the chase complication okay round one you're going through the alleyway there's a bunch of boxes the enemy's going to roll to see how they navigate those you also roll to see how you navigate those if the enemy fails and you succeed you move one space closer and if you they see- fail, one back
2: that's exactly how I do it too is I start to think about it like it's in spaces and that's why I line all the minis up and I show how close you're getting right because you have passed this complication or this obstacle or this hurdle whatever we're going to call it today you've passed this one and they and it slowed them down so they dropped back one and you got you move forward one however this drives my monks and my rogues crazy because well we're faster than everyone else how come we can't just do this
0: it doesn't matter because too many things have changed this is not combat. This is a chase. Yes, in combat, across that six seconds, you can move across an open battlefield faster than everyone else. But by the way, Monk's discluded from this, if you have to jump over a wall in that turn, you're still making a check for that, which you still might fail. You know, so in the, when the conditions are perfect, yes, you're faster. But in this situation, everybody's dealing with the same shit. And how, qu- how quick you are in this chase Depends on how well you navigate the obstacles that are in front of you. If you are a monk, you're more likely to successfully navigate a dexterity-based challenge.
1: The other thing we should point out, though, is that you can always drop out of a chase. Yeah. Right. I see no problem with the person you're chasing. Like if you're if your player characters are chasing some NPC and they're starting to get winded, they go, screw this. I'm going to stop and fight. And they see the 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 player characters barreling down on them. So they stand their ground and they brace themselves ready for the fight. Yeah. Yeah right i think that's a fantastic like very cinematic kind of thing
2: right. right one of one of the rules that they have is what happens when the chase reverses directions as well and i think of han solo chasing the stormtrooper and then he like gets into the room full of stormtroopers and it just turns around and they run the other way and like okay. and and it talks about rolling these other characters into initiative as well and like there's there are some more noodly rules about this and the dmg spends more time on chases than i thought it was going to considering i will just use a skill challenge nine times out of ten for this yeah that's essentially what we're trying to do anyway so that we're rolling dice we're accomplishing things but also when the ranger stops halfway through the chase and says fuck it i've got 120 foot range on my bow i'm gonna shoot this guy in the shoulder right or the fuck, the wizard says, you know what? I can't keep pace anymore. I've got two levels of exhaustion. I'm just going to mold earth and create a wall in front of them, right? Yeah. Like, why are we chasing? Why Why did we do this in the first place, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it's very, I very rarely do this and I usually do it for marketplaces, rooftops and overland travel. Uh, I find this to be far more useful when we are moving hexes on an overland grid, right? Yeah. So this is where we start to get advantage or disadvantage on real complications. The complication that pops up is not, oh, they knocked a couple boxes down. No, they cut the rope bridge behind them. This is going to make you drop back a day, right? I find the chase mechanics work a lot better in that regard. Um, But no,
1: I, I much prefer using a skill challenge.
2: How do you guys feel about skill challenges as a replacement for chases and epic combat and shit like that?
1: It makes it simpler. Honestly, the less time that I have to be looking in a book and saying, okay, well, uh, this one thing that happens maybe once a year of playtime, like, yeah, let's just eschew it. Let's just say something else like, here, yes, you run this far, go.
0: Yeah. And when you simplify it in the way that we're talking about here, you're more likely to include chases in your campaign. Because it's easy. It's easy for everybody to pick up. And because it's not just about you as the DM understanding the rules. that the, the whole table has to get to grips with it very quickly. So if we can simplify it, it's much better. Adam, I just want to point out, because I didn't earlier, I love that idea of the chase going the other direction. I need to include that. I've got to have it where, you know, because you may think you're doing great that you caught right up to them. But if you burst through the room and there's another 12 of them, you have to go the other way. All of a sudden, the person who was losing the chase, technically, is in a better position now. They're further away. So I like that.
2: Sean said at the beginning that not enough people retreat. I honestly believe that they're going to bust into the room and go, oh shit, there's 12 of them. I'm going to shoot that one with a magic missile. <laughs> like, No, motherfucker, run. <laughs> like, It has to be such overwhelming odds. When when Star Wars first came out, that stormtrooper ran into a room with seven other stormtroopers in there and Han Solo turned around screamed and ran away. When they did the digital remastering in the late 90s, they added 40 more behind those seven so like just just cgi did just so many fucking stormtroopers it was it was so it was no longer oh wow and it became just like a laugh out loud moment in the theater so in I, fairness uh,
1: han could totally take eight stormtroopers
2: well it's because his superpower is luck right that is that is harrison ford's superpower in literally every movie he's in is just am i lucky enough today and uh and the answer is always yes and I'm here for it, so. Delicious, delicious plot armor. (laughs) Are there any other tools or mechanics that you guys would like to see to keep players out of initiative or to streamline initiative while still feeling exciting and dangerous in the moment? Is there anything you can come up with off the top of your head right now in this moment to say, hey, I would add this to make it more fun instead of the very static and simple initiative and the complicated and unnecessary
0: chase rules i do have one that i experimented with recently when i was talking to a friend of mine who was who was trying to kind of recreate the initiative rules to to use it in his game and uh the conversation led to working as partners if somebody is one above you or one below you in initiative you can work together with them you can take your turn together to speed it up so if the fighter and the rogue are going one part of part Okay, you two. Okay, we'll both go over here. I'll, I'll help you up the up the ledge, and then you fire your shot, off or for whatever. You need to be quick with it, but it means that you can get through two turns very quickly, and it also allows for a better dynamic because they're able to work together.
2: I like that. You did that to great success with your combo maneuvers a couple of campaigns ago, where you were right. you cast darkness, and then I'll drop fireball on them. Right, Like right.
0: exactly there, that.
2: There was a, there was a lot of good streamlining by
1: doing teamwork. I like that pairing it in initiative. Sean, do you have any? Yeah, there are a lot of really good systems that um, allow players to do exactly that, where they will allow them to, you know, say, I'm going to do this with you. For instance, one one example is one person's going to hold somebody while the other person slashes their throat or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I'm all in favor of breaking those norms, especially if it's going to add that cinematic cinematic flair, especially if it's going to help people tell a story, Because, yeah.
2: One of my least favorite things about 5th edition is that they got rid of a mechanic that I really like, and that was to um, delay your turn. In previous editions, you could delay your entire turn to later to be able to figure out where you want to go in initiative, to be able to say, I want this person to do that thing before I do my next thing. Now we just have hold your action, which gives up your movement, your bonus action, and your reaction to just have you sit there and wait so that if maybe these conditions are met, then that might trigger this one attack. I'm going to do. I think that's bullshit. I would much rather just say, "Hey, if you want, hesitate for half a second, and that will drop you two people in initiative." Like, uh, there's no. I have no problem with that. That that makes the player agency far more um, uh, strategic. Do you allow I that? Think in-
0: there- Perhaps if there's a cost to that, because I don't like the idea, because then there's no point in initiative if we just, you can just reorder our turn. So maybe if there's a cost, like you need to use your reaction for that, like, okay, you can move your turn, but you it cost you your reaction because your focus is waiting for this thing to happen. You're not looking at everything else around you. You're waiting for this moment before you can do what you want to do. So it costs you your reaction, but you can change the order of initiative.
2: Or even like it imposes disadvantages on saves until the top of the next turn or something, right? Sean, you were going to say something. I completely lost it. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, All right. So before we wrap this episode up, let's cut to our last ad break.
3: If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running.
1: So, do you guys have anything else we want to say before we wrap up this discussion on combat management?
2: I got some, but I'm curious to see. Do you guys have anything before I launch into my final rant?
0: I would say just sim- keep it simple is the main point that I've tried to put across here. What's most important with the things that we covered today, one of the things that's most important is to keep the excitement up and we can bog it down and reduce the excitement when we overcomplicate because we're trying to get it technically or mechanically correct. You know, like you said about the chases, if you can turn that into a simplified skill challenge and still make it exciting, that's going to be better. So keep it simple as best you can.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I also feel like, um the more you can do to strip away the complications the more the story in and of itself is going to shine and the more you're going to be put into those situations as a dm where you're going to make those rule as cool you know rule of cool decisions where yeah sure delay your react your your initiative go nuts
2: my last thought on this is i'm gonna look back to fourth edition for something i'm not sure i love this but i think it's it's important to bring it up and include it in the conversation uh terry you probably are not familiar with the idea of action points but i know sean is so for those of you listening who don't know what an action point is uh action points are essentially the opportunity to gain an additional standard action once per encounter now that that's a lot of fourth edition uh jargon but encounters are essentially just one combat right you can get an additional action. This is very very similar to the action surge from the fighter. And it's like they took action points and they gave it to the fighter, but for the fighter, it recharges on a long rest for uh action points. Everybody gets one. They start off with one and it only recharges once you hit a milestone. You know how we tend to give out inspiration and we've delayed experience to be milestone based. It would be like once per level. You can just choose in this moment, I am a, a hero, I will get an extra action or even an extra turn if you wanted to, to push that uh, that narrative a bit. The rules are that it would have to take place during your turn, so you can only spend an action point during your turn, never during a surprise round or someone else's turn. Um, you get an extra action. This was how it was everything was called an action there was a standard action a move action a minor action that's how fourth ed was so you would use this to either be able to move again or or do another action like cast a spell or or attack or use a bonus action feature or maybe even a secondary reaction if you wanted to and you can only use one per short or per encounter and uh, you would have to take a rest before you can spend another so you could choose to not spend it and hoard these things for a year and a half this becomes far more cinematic. However, th- I feel like this makes the fighter less impressive because it steps on their toes. And I feel like this means that your um, your big, crazy set piece moments are more likely to go completely off the fucking rails and be done before you can start. So, like, you should only be able to spend one at a time, right? And then get some sort of rest in between as well, just to mitigate the spamming of action points how do you guys feel about action points in fifth edition is this a neat little bonus or is this overkill and bullshit and we're glad it's gone
0: it feels like such a significant i'm not against it but it feels like such a significant change that there's going to create so many more questions you know this is not it's not a minor part of the combat that we're adjusting it's like the. it's the whole framework really of how actions are taken the action economy works
1: yeah i don't uh... I don't like the idea of being able to hoard action points and then all of a sudden change the way that your characters perceived in the universe. Yeah, um, I do like the idea of having rules around it, but again, I strip the rules away away. Like if if you're cool, if your characters want to do cool shit, let them do cool shit.
2: Yeah, I I'm afraid that the. What I'm doing is I'm rewarding the more creative characters at the table when everybody should be on equal footing by just letting them do cool shit. So I do need to gamify it somehow and action points would be a way that I would do it. I would never let them carry it over to the next level. You get one. If you don't use it by the time you hit the next milestone, it's gone here. You get a brand new one, right? And that means that everybody gets one for every four to six sessions, right? And it's going to encourage my four to six players to use them. Well, I see one pop off. Or all of them will go at once and they'll be like, okay, thank God. Right. Maybe they'll save it for that big right before the milestone encounter. Right. And then everyone gets to go. But me as a DM, I know as I'm prepping that, I'm like, like hey, four of my six players have not used it yet. I can use max hit points on this guy because he's gonna get fucked up. <laughs> right. Like I know that they're gonna use the opportunity to to totally wreck my plans here. So I will have just have a squad of enemies in in the guard room that does not exist on the map until i put it on the map because they use their action points (laughs) right like at that point though you're you're right it's adding more complication and i'm not sure that it's it's necessary but i know that it should be a part of the conversation and some tables especially if you only have one two or three players that can really make a big difference
0: Anyway, that's all for this part of our discussion on combat and initiative in D&D 5th edition. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future.
2: Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're gonna get.
3: This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations.
0: Sean, great job! That's your second one ever. Flowed very nicely. It's great.
1: Thank you very much, sir. I rather enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, there's there was a. We have added many many hosts over the years and had a few guest stars and stuff come in. This was really seamless. Mm-hmm. This, this felt this felt really good. So.
0: I felt like the the little break that we did, Adam, actually was great to just when I was going to come back to the show. It was like just to reassess how we do it. Am I talking too quickly? When can, how can I make it more concise? I can, all of those things. So it was actually good to have a few weeks off. To,
2: uh, I, I'm i really, really, really trying. I I, I got to save this and, and get it all done, but just Terry really quickly. I'm trying so hard to record as much as possible so that like in, in fits and starts so that we can have breaks. Right. And yeah. let people recharge and go away and chill out and, and there will be people, I think, over the next year that will decide that they don't want to do this anymore. Um, and so I'm trying to, like, get them now for all the shit so that we don't get overloaded on the later half of, the of like, 2024, right? right? So um, I feel so much better after that break. Yeah. Yeah. Um, frustrated about scheduling. Blood pressure fucking through the roof. And thank you both for stepping up because I this time yesterday I was beating my head against the keyboard. But I sense, uh I
0: sense that so but
2: worried. um yeah I uh, I this felt really this felt really good this episode. So I sat there and I thought, how are we going to make this interesting? It's tactics and initiative. This was seamless.
0: Yeah.
2: Cool. All right, I'm gonna save this. Thank you, thank you. I will see you, Terry, in an hour and Sean I'll see you in a week. All right. Thanks, guys. Better, y'all. All right, guys see you later, y'all. Happy Thanksgiving, Sean. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Also, Terry, but you know. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, he's gone now.
1: Okay, bye. Bye.
0: Do you think that there is anything missing from the fifth edition feat system? This may be specific feats or, or prerequisites. Do you think there's anything missing?
2: Did I copy paste this in from a feats episode? I think
1: you may have.
0: Yes, you did. And then I, because we have feats later, just said it without thinking.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Do you in have fairness? A... I think there are too many feats, but
2: Oh, we, we get into that. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. We're, we're doing feats five immediately after this. So have fun. Um,
0: I have yes,
1: difficulty I with two feet. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's so ugly.